Hello world. It is Wednesday, March 17th. My name's Colin. I'm joined by my co-host, Kenny Friedman. This is Hacker News TLDR. Kenny, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy, you know, holiday. What What's the name of this one? It's a holiday. St. Patrick's Day. Oh, That's the it one. is. Wow. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You have I big plans? A, I, well, I, I, I already did my big plans. I had a, uh, a green donut from Krispy Kreme. Wow. That's huge. We did a we did a Krispy Kreme run last night, and uh, they were selling green glazed donuts. And I actually, I think it's I, I mean I think it's just food coloring. But if I really think about it, I think the donuts are worse when they're green. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look very they don't look very appetizing, and I so, guess they taste the same. But it's just like it's kind of weird eating this kind of like dark green donut. Interesting. So the dough is green, not like, just the frosting. Yeah. Yes. I think maybe they dyed both. Okay. But it's kind of like a brownish green. Like it's like a doughy plus green sort of look. Okay. Yeah, brownish I, greens I are know. the most appetizing color. I mean, the Krispy Kreme logo is already green. I feel like they could just leave it at that and just say like, happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, these don't look great. I, I'm looking at photos now. You're, yep. Yeah. I think they should have stuck with just plain normal colored donut with green frosting and green sprinkles. But, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they should have just done green that. sprinkles. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I might go get a shamrock shake. That's going to be my big St. Patrick's Day celebration. I don't oh, even I've know if I own any green clothes. About those. Oh yeah. <laughs> Got to get them while they're available. So what's on Hacker News? Well, a uh, couple interesting stories. I think maybe the most interesting one to start with for me is the Sam Altman essay that he published yesterday. And I saw this, but I didn't read it. Moore's Law for Everything. Uh, Moore's Law for Everything. Interestingly, it's like a real like feature piece by him. It's got, you know, it's not just his blog. It's like moores.samaltman.com. And it's, uh, it's what do you call this, illustrated and has, it's kind of a little bit of interactive, uh, very, very little header with green money. And if you pan over it, it turns to blue. Ooh. A little bit of interactivity there. Fun. Um, but it's like a big like but it's like a big feature piece sort of thing instead of just a blog post which i thought so i thought one of the most noteworthy things is how little attention it got it didn't do super well on hacker news uh in the hundreds but not like a big blow-up piece Mm -hmm. and it's sort of his like laying out his plan for the future or like what a proposal for the future uh with the basic premise that AI is going to take over everything, you know, some might say, uh, you know, absorb all future value in the light cone of the universe or something like that. <laughs> one might say. <laughs> one one might say. Maybe Sam Altman might say. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of, this is his pitch for what to do about uh, redistributing the wealth that AI creates and how to kind of increase the standard of living for everyone. Um, interesting. So, and it's broken into so these much, parts. Yeah, it's broken into parts. Uh, very nice little outline where he explains that the AI revolution is coming. He makes just some very vague predictions about the fact that what what will happen in the next couple decades. And yeah, this whole thing stuff is like, like that. I, it's weirdly like not long enough to be a manifesto. <laughs> like part one. Yeah. It's called the AI revolution and it's three paragraphs long. And like, 
the first, you know, it's only four sentences total <laughs> across all three of those well, remember, his His mentor recently said, write simply. <laughs> write simply. Well, I guess uh, I haven't read this. Did was it was it insightful? Was there a lot of great, great? Uh, you know, I, I guess it, it's not like it needs to. Everything needs to be new and different and have like novel thinking. As long as he's like, if he's just trying to you know restate a consensus opinion in like a canonical fashion, but uh, surely these four sentences that I still have not read, entitled "The AI Revolution," just can't contain any any world changing revelations, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that part didn't. The really, really where it gets into it, I guess, is is part three, where and this is, I think, the, that that was just to establish to try to convince people. Okay, an AI revolution. Yeah, let me just give you the general pitch: is like an AI revolution is coming. It's going to replace tons of jobs and also create like incredible value, mm-hmm. in economic value, the likes of which we've never seen before. And then the question is like, how do we make that good for everyone? Uh, and like, how do we redistribute the inequality and also create just like a better world for everyone? So he wants to both increase growth and incre- increase inclusivity. So in part three, he describes something called what he's pitching as the American Equity Fund. And this is kind of his tax plan for the AI future, which is that uh, you would tax companies above a particular above a valuation at uh, 2.5% of their market value each year. Okay. Kind of like and a wealth tax for companies. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of like a wealth tax for companies where the tax would then be payable to American citizens in shares of this equity fund. Ooh. And so 2.5% of all privately held land, the value of all privately and held that's land. The, that's the second part. That's, that's a kind of side issue of this whole piece, which I found really interesting is that he kind of weirdly makes the case that the limiting resource of the future is land. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really specify more than that, I guess, land as the finite resource. But I mean, I think we can pretty easily think of some other finite resources besides just land, unless he means all physical goods on the land, which if you look at the whole world is everything. <laughs> right. But he does it. He he keeps going back and talks a lot about land specifically as this finite resource that we have to have kind of a special exception for, which I find very strange considering there's like going to be lots of other limited resources. Interesting. Maybe uh, not. Nobody seemed to address this, so maybe I was misunderstanding, or maybe he just generally means like land means all of the natural resources in the land. But I found his whole digression about land as this single limiting resource of the AI future kind of strain. Yeah, I'd like to see that case uh, argued better. I think, you know, you could argue that, you know, energy will be universally available and, like, dirt cheap. Uh, You can argue that, you know, we'll find replacements for, like, paper or, you know, any other, like, you know, products based on trees. Uh, Water, I don't know, it's renewable. I figure they'll figure out water. (laughs) well that is the thing like water food i don't know silicon like Mm. it's all like Uh, it's just like ai asteroid miners we don't got so much silicon don't even worry about it yeah yeah people people are doing their space startups as we speak so that'll be (laughs) solved in a couple years i guess hmm. you know 
we we've been able to like massively increase the uh i guess the efficacy of food production systems uh given the same amount of land uh with factory farming and things like that so i you can imagine that that'll just keep on going up and up as it needs to though i suppose yeah hmm yeah i guess, I guess it's, it's kind of hard to imagine what like a multi-level you know factory farm for uh for cows or something would look would look like though maybe he's also assuming that all livestock will you know we're going to move away from eating organic meat entirely it depends on what kind of time scale <laughs> yeah. uh we're dealing with here right um yeah so i guess i guess in the final I part he talks looking about forward to actual... oh. oh go ahead yeah uh I was just going to say in the final parts, he kind of uh, specifies some like problems and like implementation details and talks about kind of if, if there isn't this AI accelerated growth, he thinks that it would be a decade from now, uh, every American adult would be able to get uh, $13,500 a year. So kind of, I guess in today's dollars, that would be just below the poverty line as kind of a universal basic income, but that assumes like uh, that the growth, the AI acceleration growth won't happen, uh, but that it'll be still worth it because everything will be much cheaper. Mm-hmm. So he's promising like 10 years from now, you'll get 13K every year and that'll be able to buy you tons of stuff because there's a huge reduction in the cost of goods and services and probably some AI acceleration. <laughs> Interesting. That's another thing that so, another... Uh, like claim I'd like to see defended more rigorously, which is like, you know, the cost of things have gone up (laughs) like forever, right? (laughs) Like the cost of a gallon of milk has gone up from like a quarter in 1950 or something to like, you know, three bucks. So like, does he think that's going to reverse direction or is it just, am I missing something here about the inflation rate and like the real value of money or what? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I I guess maybe he's talking about all of this in real dollar terms. I think he's not going to say that inflation will stop, but mm-hmm. I think maybe that's 13K in today's dollars, which would be mm. you know a larger amount 10 years from now. But he's saying the purchasing power of 13K will be higher because of the reduction reduction in cost of goods and services in real yeah. dollar terms. But, but I would love to see like real economists consider this or like respond to it because obviously I don't have an economics background. Right. But I was surprised that like maybe maybe in classic fashion the Hacker News comments were like not very insightful and just kind of got into an argument about the AI future very quickly. Yeah. And also one other thing is that the, there are no citations in this. Manifesto, maybe manifestos aren't supposed to have citations. I don't know. <laughs> but, but like, I'm, I'm surprised that you could write an article called Moore's Law for Everything and like not reference uh, the law of accelerating returns or the singularity or mm-hmm. other previous concepts about like future accelerating AI growth. Yeah, it's it's like he's trying to repackage the same ideas without like lugging along the baggage of the Kurzweil stuff just because yeah I don't know Kurzweil takes it to such such extremes uh that you know it almost can't help but become a meme 
so Rex, I understand yeah. not wanting to do that, but it is a little disingenuous to not uh, acknowledge the shoulders you're standing on. Interesting yeah. stuff. I'll definitely have to read this in more detail yeah. and read the comments. Well, that was a, yeah, that was the deep dive. I, you could probably hold off on the comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite you're right, it only it got under 400 points on HN. So not like a runaway success, but it probably was, you know, number one or two on the front page for some amount of time, but 481 comments. So it's one of the more commented stories in the past uh, 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So certainly started some discussion. I guess I would have a big Sam Altman manifesto to be more, but. uh, Yes, absolutely. Like for instance. Yeah, we'll see see if he takes this and runs with it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this too long, but the top story by a long shot is the uh, is this Medium article, GitHub Fuck Your Name Change, uh, written by a software engineer, a black software engineer who lives in London, who's uh, generally just uh, shitting on, you know, GitHub's kind of token, you know, change the master branch to main uh, instead of like committing to more inclusive hiring practices or anything uh, more meaningful. Um, I think HN really jumped on this. Uh, you know, there's obviously like HN is weirdly torn between being progressive and being kind of like uh, particularly sensitive about like virtue signaling and like, you know, down on that sort of thing, you know, maybe a little more conservative on the cancel culture stuff. Uh, you know, so it, it is kind of like a weird, uh, you know, kind of middle ground uh, where HN finds itself, which, you know, generally roughly aligned with like the, the rationalist gray tribe kind of stuff as well. Uh, you know, not, not to paint with too broad a brush, but I think that's representative of the opinions that tend to win out on Hacker News. And um, yeah, I think, I think people have kind of jumped at the chance to, uh, to voice some of the opinions that they maybe haven't been able to voice about frustration with some of the, the, uh, sim- symbolicness or meaninglessness of some of these, you know, post BLM gestures. Um, yeah, I'm not going to really comment on it. Uh, I don't have strong opinions either way about the GitHub main versus master thing. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, a very vigorous discussion in the comments. And uh, if that's your cup of tea, yeah. check it out. Yeah, I read this and I actually, I thought it was like a really well-written, uh, very interesting article i was like uh didn't think about the phrase like didn't think about the the name of the branch master before uh i guess last summer when when everybody decided to to change it and remove that kind of language and try to have more inclusive language and then i was like cool that's a very simple change that's really easy to do Mm -hmm. uh and so i was for it and then i read this and i was like oh yeah i guess just a simple easy change is uh, probably means nothing <laughs> and possibly possibly could do damage by people thinking that they've done something. Yeah. Um, so I thought this was, yeah, I, I really liked how this was written and uh, Agreed. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of, there's a take in the comments that I hadn't quite heard, which I thought was expressed really, really nicely. I mean, this is the very top comment as uh, we record, but it's just that, uh, you know, the person was like, oh yeah, it, the, I'm, I'm African American, and the first time it occurred to me that master could be offensive was when GitHub announced that they were changing it. Um, but they also said, you know, this is also kind of brilliant, just so that in the developer community, there's this kind of like little, 
little thing that we that we deal with, you know, several times a day. Uh, where like you know maybe we're gonna, we accidentally do like uh, you know get push origin master and you know need to like it says branch not found and we need to change that to get push origin main and uh, he basically says it's you know just to use that as like a little reminder like a little you know post it on the wall uh, that kind of like you know keeps the lack of diversity in tech kind of front of mind uh, for developers. Uh, obviously that wasn't the original intention of GitHub in doing this, uh, but he, you know, I think that's kind of an interesting take as well. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay. Well, moving on, I know already... you want to talk about the Bridgewater article. Oh, I see it. So uh, we're already 17 oh. minutes in. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say we could, we could save it for a different day because we, uh, we really did a deep dive on Sam Altman there. <laughs> we sure did. All right. We will uh, save that one for tomorrow. Okay.